Okay, so last week we talked about Gvura leading to Rachamim, right? Mm-hmm. And this, I would say, we could think of as almost the flip side of it, which is really very fitting. So what do I mean by the flip side? So if last time was Gvura leading to Rachamim, meaning we were talking about how Hashem is relating to us, that his gvura, mm-hmm. right, actually comes to Rachamim. Like that's, it goes in that way. I would say today's topic sort of is perception of gvura to Rachamim. I'm just gonna write that down. So it's from the other perspective. One is recognizing that Hashem is behaving to us gvura to Rachamim, and then the other is our, how we see that from our side of gavura, seeing gavura, and somehow that changes in us to Rachamim, from gavura to Rachamim, rather than in him, or not in him, because he doesn't change, but how he's actually changed, mm-hmm. not changed, how his interaction with us has moved from a state of gavura to a state of Rachamim, and this is going the other direction. So why do I say that's very apt? Because this is Psuke de Zimra, and we mentioned, and that's kind of going to be a lot of the topic today, we mentioned in the past this idea of Hallel, right? Because mm-hmm. all of Suke de Zimmer is Tehillim. Not, well, not all of it is Tehillim, but the bulk of it is Tehillim. That's her usual place. <laughs> she was asking about usual places. <laughs> um, there's a lot of Tehillim. Tehillim is from the word Hallel. Tehillah and Hallel are related, okay? And, and Hallel is to praise? Hallel is to praise. There are a lot of words for praise, including here, where we have Nehalelcha, we will Hallel you, Negadelcha, Unashabechacha, Unafaercha, right? Namlichacha. We have a lot of words that could mean praise, and they're all slightly different. Um, Hallel, we mentioned, I think, in the beginning of Psuke de Zimra, just in sort of giving general definitions. Hallel... Um, Rav Hirsch describes as an echo, almost, only that it has a reflective quality to it. Hila in modern Hebrew means a halo, um, but nonetheless, that concept of light that's then reflected back to where it came from is the idea of hollow. So when Hashem shines a light of love, kindness, chesed, right, he saves us, there's a redemption then we would respond with Hallel, in which we would, exa- we would say what he did for us, right? Hashem saved us. But say, that's Hallel, right? We, we actually put into words and we praise him for, we praise him with his actions. So that's the reflection. His actions come to us, and when we see them, we reflect them back only in words. That would be Hallel. So that idea of reflection, I think, is very apt that really when we were taught, like if the last time we talked about Gevura moving to Rachamim, over here there's an aspect of that too, but in the opposite direction from us going upward. Okay, that's kind of the general topic. The words we're talking about here are, so last time we spoke about Hakel Ha'av HaRachamon, and today I want to talk about HaMehulal Befi Amo, who is Mehulal, so that would be the effect of Hallel upon the other. So he is praised, 
let's say. Befi amo, some people have to say befe amo, depends on your sitter, right? Um, who is praised with the mouth of his nation. Okay, so again, going back to this idea of halal as a reflection, where we receive, the, the light shining toward us is his actions of redemption to us, right? And then turning that into words, that's hamehulal befiyamo. The halal comes back to him by means of the mouth of his people, when we turn it into words. There's a certain amount of overlap with uveshire David avdecha nhalelcha, which is coming up, the phrase after next, with the songs of David, your servant, nehalelcha, we will hallow you, we will praise you. Okay, so a lot of what I'm going to say is going to jump back and forth between those ideas as one idea. I mean, there's more than one thing going on there, but this idea of the praise from our mouth, that's the halal over here, and that it's David HaMelech's songs that we use to give that praise. Okay. Now, I'm going to first give you like some little tidbits, and then I want to ask a question. <laughs> so the first piece is, HaMehulal B'fiyamo, Hashem is praised by the mouth of his people. Oh, by the way, I... You know, I don't even notice that I have a note here because we mentioned it earlier in Baruch Sha'amar. Baruch Sha'amar, there's a hint to it that it's Roshel Ketem Paz. Paz means gold, and it's 87. The word befe, actually the truth is I say befe. I don't know that that's a family custom, but it's what I got used to from the sitters that I've had. But some say there's a custom to say befe because befe is the gematria of 87. So hamehulal befet amo through the mouth of his nation, the befet what is in the mouth of his nation is like this baruch sha'amar. Uh, like the word befet, it's no, base is two. To the number yeah, because cool. it means it means gold, and it's the number of words in baruch sha'amar mm-hmm. that it's like golden pearls on a string. Right, because when, when you say goodnight to somebody, you say hold up. Oh, that I never heard. That's cute. That sounds modern, but very cute. <laughs> okay, so saying that Hashem is praised by the mouth of his nation, when we talk about the nation, the Am, we're usually talking about the lowest common denominator. I don't mean that as a euphemism for the lowest people, but the lowest common denominator, meaning Jewish people, wherever they're holding. They're Jews. Just as a as a community of people, it includes the tzaddikim and it includes the not so tzaddikim. Or Rabbi Teller would say, not yet tzaddikim, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's, <how I> mean. <laughs> That's about the rest of us. Okay, which means, in other words, that halal is for everyone. Anyone can praise Hashem. There's a pasuk, oni ve'evion yehalalu shimcha. Even the poor and impoverished praise your name. Now, why shouldn't the poor and impoverished? Like, of course, they could also be righteous, but the point is people could be impoverished and lacking in many ways. And nonetheless, their praise of God is meaningful. So one lesson, hamahulal b'fiyamo, is to say, you know, like, who am I to praise God? I just talked about sha'amar v'haya ha'olam. He created the universe. He forms the universe. He, whatever he says, that's the reality. He sustains and keeps everything. He has rahmanas on everything. He shapes it. He gives reward. He gives punishment. Like, it's a chutzpah really, for me to get up and say, oh, you're so wonderful. Like, 
that's almost an insult. Or at least I could think so. Okay, there is a concept like that. Like with Shemona Esrei, Hashem is described as Hakel Hagadol Hagibor Vehanora. Gadol Gibor Anora, that's a phrase that Moshe Rabbeinu used in the Torah. Okay? The Anshe Knesset Hagadola took the basis, this whole structure of Shona Esrei around Gadol Gibor Anora that Moshe Rabbeinu said. Okay? Even the Anshe Knesset Hagadola would be very hesitant to <coughs> compose from scratch praise of God. Because who are we? to think, right, do you ever have like somebody who, um, you could have someone in the, in the family, I don't know, I'm just thinking like a Shabbos table, right, so you have some really brilliant scholar in some field, I don't know, okay, like my dad's a historian, okay, so you have my father and he's a historian and he has his field that he knows of like history and then you have somebody at the table who really like just doesn't know anything about it but they have all these strong opinions, right, <laughs> and it's like you, you just want to like think through your chair for them, because, like, you really just should keep your mouth shut. Like, <laughs> but this is positive, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but but I'm starting, the baseline would be to think, really the proper way to think would be, who am I to say it? Anshay Knesset Hagadola themselves didn't. And the Gemara says that if, you, if a person, I think the Gemara tells a story even, there was somebody who got up to lead the davening. And he says, Hakel, Hagadol, Hagibor, Vehanor. And then he went on. I don't remember what the words are. But like, he went on with more words of praise for God, thinking he's praising him. So they, it sounds like they didn't interrupt him. It could be the halachas you do interrupt, I'm not sure. Like they didn't interrupt him, but afterward they were like, we just want you to know never, never lead the davening again in our shul. Like it wasn't even just don't do that again. It was like, you're not invited. Why? Because like, you think that you are gonna come up with the words? What that suggests is now that your words are the, you think that's the correct description of God. Mm-hmm. And, his, and, and you know nothing about the matter. It doesn't matter who you are. You don't know anything about it because you're human. So since you don't really understand anything about God, really, then who are you to say? And the more you add words, the more you suggest that, like, if you can only come up with the right combination of words, now you will have fully described God, which is, that's the biggest insult of all. The biggest insult to, like, try and bring him down to the scope of what your brain could contain or your words could contain. Okay. And yet... Uh, what we're told over here is I could come through the whole first part of Baruch Sha'amar and feel like how could I open my mouth and praise this is Psukit Zimra right we talked about Yerushamayim that's the whole concept and where does Yerushamayim take us okay well some of this we'll review some we won't so really there's a stage of Yerushamayim where you just feel silenced you just feel silenced because to the extent that you feel even a taste of awe of God, really, that does, right? Someone who doesn't feel silenced, it's because they don't appreciate the greatness, right? That's the person that you just wish you could whisper in their ear, like, maybe let's change the subject, right? So, yeah, thank you. But really, that's not where our awe is supposed to take us. We're not supposed to stop at silence. Rav Hirsch talks about, um, in his introduction to Pesuket Zimra, he talks about our awe bringing us to praise of Hashem, and that praise of Hashem bringing us to greater dedication <coughs> to want to serve Him. 
So it's not supposed to stop with just the silence. And this is, this, this is the two parts to this hint of Hamahullah B'fiyamo. Number one is God, is God wants to be praised through the mouth of his people, and Amo is the lowest common denominator. It's everybody, all his people. It's not only the great ones. So who are you to say that? Who am I to say, <laughs> right? If I'm going to say like, oh, I shouldn't praise God because I'm just so small. So God is telling you, I don't want to hear from you too. Your, the words that come out of your mouth are meaningful to me, says God. So that is a very... You kind of need that to go forward. Because if you're really thinking about Baruch Sha'amar in the first half, then you get stuck in the second half. Because, like, how could I praise you? Mm-hmm. So the first piece is, <laughs> Like, that is what he wants to hear. So not up to you to second guess him. If he wants to hear from all his people, high and low, so your voice could be heard. Speak up. Um, and the second piece is that it actually brings us to speak, which is... To turn, which is going to allow us to turn the awe into something that changes us. Okay, but we're not, we're not going to get up to there. Now, there's, Rav Schwab says like this, he says, Kla Yisrael praise Hashem as Echad Ushmo Echad, which is why it's Hamahulah B'fi Amo. God is praised in the mouth of his nation. That means the Jewish people. Really, any, any person could praise God. You don't have to be Jewish to praise God, and that would still be meaningful. But there's a special praise that's referred to here, which is Shema. So there's an element here of Pesuket Zimra leading us towards Shema, which we will talk about more after Baruch Shamar, right? We'll transition to Shema. But just to realize that there's something special there about his people, what do we do? We say Shema twice a day, right? That's the whole Kedusha, like on Shabbos, and every Kedusha, really, right? Talking about how... We rise to this level of malachim, and we say kedusha, and, and like they say kedusha, kadosh, 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 and we say shema yisrael hashem okinu hashem echad. And this is the obligation of all creations before Hashem, lahodos lahala l'shabeach to praise God. Al kol devre shiros v'sish b'chos David ben Yishai meshichecha. That's from Nishmas. Okay, and this brings us to an apparent paradox, which is on the one hand we said, everyone can praise God, and he wants to hear from everyone. And on the other hand, Meshubach umefoar, he's also praised and glorified, Bilashon, let's say, with the tongue of Hasida va'avadav, his Hasidim, Hasidim doesn't mean followers of the Baal Shem Tov, right? Because that's recent. Hasidim means Hasidim Ludvar Hashem, those who, uh, sorry, that's Haredim. <laughs> Never mind. Hasidim means those who do chesed with Hashem. In other words, they're doing for God more than what they're obligated. When a person is acting out of love for Hashem, then he doesn't just do what he has to do, he wants to do even more than that just because he wants to, okay? That's called in the Gemara, that's in terms of the Gemara, that would be a chassid. So the chassidim and the avadim, God's servants, that's like a very high level. So which is it? Is he praised by any of us speaking, and that would be praise, or is he praised only through the words of the chassidim and the avadim? So we could say both, except that the chassidim and avadim are really included 
in the am. So it's not so much, that's like a more general term, am. And not only that, we get even more specific, uvishire David avdecha, with the songs of David, your servant, that's one evid. That's not even, okay? You should know all the words of Sukkot de Zimra between the brachos of Baruch Amar and Yishtabach are David Amalek's words, which is rather awesome. It's like one person. Okay, it's all him talking. All different places. Some of it's from Navi, some of it's from Ksovim, some of it's from Tehillim, but it's all him. And we only use his words, Nehalelcha, to praise you, Hashem Elokeinu. So, how do I take the lesson then? What am I supposed to make of it? Is it that he wants to hear from each of us? And the words that come out of each of our mouths have this meaning and are important to God? And that avod is important? Or is it only for the highest, most righteous people that their words have this effect? Now, as I said, even, let's say, with Anche Knesset they started, they used as their basis point for um, Shemona Esrei, they used the words of Moshe Rabbeinu. They're right in the Torah. It's not, it's like the words of Moshe Rabbeinu, but it's more than that, right? Because it's his words as recorded by Hashem in the Torah. So it's words that God chose already. Over here, they're choosing the words of David HaMelech. You know, we once, we once said, when you, when you say the words of David HaMelech, so obviously God hears you speaking, and at the same time, he's hearing David speaking. Mm-hmm. Right? In the same way, when somebody says to you something and it echoes to you where you heard that before, right? That's just like, I can't point you to a source for that. That's just straightforward. Okay, when someone tells you a quote from someone else, you not only hear the person who's talking at the moment, you recall the first time you heard it from the one who said it. Okay? This is the idea of sifsosav dovavos bakever a little bit, right? That a person who passed away, a Talmud Chacham can still teach after they pass away. How? If you give over a Torah in the name of the one who said it, so it's described as if the person who passed away, their lips are murmuring and moving in the grave because they are still teaching, even now. Which is why we don't say Rashi said, we say Rashi says. Because every time we quote him, he's teaching again. Okay, not only Rashi, right, that was an example. Okay. So when we use the words of David HaMelech, there's something happening over here. One is, we're saying... I appreciate, it's a way of combining together those two ideas. Who am I to praise God? Like to, to act as if I know the right thing to say. And on the other hand, Hashem wants to hear from me. So the way you actually put those two pieces together is to say, I'm going to praise God by choosing the words that somebody else said with nivua. Not even just the words that David said, but it's words that David said with nivua, with prophecy. Why? Because it's really only with prophecy that a person could have even an indication of what God would find as appropriate as praise. So that gets merged together by saying, I'm going to say it. It's not enough that David Melech said it. Hashem wants to hear from me. But 
the words that I'm going to say are not the words I created. We're talking here about praise. Yeah, I'm not talking about bakasha. When you talk to God in your own words and, and tell him about your problems and the help that you need. That's your own words. Okay? We're talking about praise. And the specific, the specific danger that our praise could be an insult is it's not our own words. It's somebody else's words. And then there's this awesome idea that like I'm speaking, but there's this echo of my words that's much bigger than who I am. Yeah. Did you want? Oh, okay. No, I'm just confused. I felt that all the praise that we say and we use specifically these words are so we feel them. It is, for sure. Right? It's like to train us to see him like this. Right. That's definitely true. Like David Amalek saw him as it was, like he did the right way of seeing, so he's teaching us how to. That's definitely true. That's definitely true. So that's not a contradiction. It's really like a question why should I not use these words? I have to feel these Yes, but that's also part of that humility, right? Of saying, if I want to pray, I want to praise Hashem, but I don't know how. Right. So what would I see? I think it's two sides of the same coin. One is what's acceptable to God, and what is the effect on us. We want them to match. Right. So really, but you're absolutely right, what you're saying. I mean, the, the lesson here is on us, not the lesson on God. Right. He doesn't need it. Right? He doesn't need it, and he doesn't, it doesn't change him, but it changes us. Right. right. For sure. But at the same time, there is an effect. So we're going to get to that. There's an effect in the world from that. Okay. So this is kind of that flip side, that Hashem is praised through the words of the Has- his Hasidim, his Avodim, and specifically David HaMelech. So in Baruch Sha'amar, which is Rav Baruch HaLevi Epstein, he says, it takes special knowledge to know how to praise Hashem. And it's not just special knowledge. It's not just like, oh, if somebody's smart enough or even learned enough Torah that they would know how to praise God. In order to put a new combination of words, that takes prophecy. Why? Because prophecy is, in essence, seeing things from a divine perspective, at least a little window of divine perspective, or a reflection of a divine perspective. That's prophecy. Because humans, even great humans, don't know how to describe God. It's, uh, it's just too far out for us. So all we can know is what Hashem shares to us, right? We've talked about this with his names, right? How does, what does Hashem share with us and tell us is how we should be learning to relate to him. So it's always going to come from Nevoah. Okay. Or breadcrumbs. Sorry? Like bread, like he's, he's helping us. <laughs> it just took me a minute, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's great. I always thought you always have great analogies. I just have to like... That's well. I just have to wrap Is my head to it. Is that a good analogy? I like, I yeah, know, like, it a, like a hint. Yeah. Yeah, like a hint. I think, I think the point with the words of description of God is even more than a hint. It's specific, right? Because it has to be not just that it, not just that it leads you to somewhere. It has to do that, but it has to lead you there with specific words. Somewhere like a bat. <laughs> well, a vehicle to get, as you said, that we want to reach up, but we want to bring down the bracha. So... This is our vehicle that was given to us to do that, and it's in a very specific way. Yes. I would say, though, that the focus in Baruch Amar is not the bringing down of bracha. It's the opposite direction. Because mm-hmm. we're talking about the halal, right? Mm-hmm. It's right. actually the reflecting up of bracha. Mm-hmm. 
it is still bracha, and we've talked about it many times with bracha, this, that it bounces back and forth. This is the really from down to up, when we're talking about praise and we're talking about hollow. Okay. So, let's see, there's one. Before I get all the way into the hollow part, there's a sort of a side, a side point, but I think it provides a nice grounding um, to the hollow side, which is Rav Tzadok of Lublin says, what's a chassid? Okay. I gave like sort of the standard definition. The chassid is the person who wants to do for God out of a sense of giving and love for God. So it's true he will do what Hashem wants first because if you love someone and you're buying them a lot of flowers and they have allergies or they like flowers but like really they need food, right? The husband who buys his wife the new vacuum cleaner for her birthday, right? Like it's not that it isn't love per se but really when you love someone you want to be like in tune with what, right? So if God has said this is what I want you to do like these mitzvahs. So like the first expression of love is doing them. Mm-hmm. But the chassid does even more than that because it's coming from this place of love. Okay. So he says, what's the definition of a chassid? It's very unusual. He says, Hu ha-nivdal He says, the definition of a chassid is a person who is completely removed from the kina, taiva, and kavod that take a person out of the world. Mm-hmm. In other words, a chassid, again, we're not talking about chassidim like strimals and that. But, I mean, it could be, but not specifically. Okay, A chassid is somebody who's very, very alive. Mm-hmm. Why? Because there's these three things called kina, taiva, and kavod that take a person out of the world, out of life. Kina meaning, let's say, jealousy, taiva, craving, like lust for things, and covered, wanting glory, wanting honor. Those things take a person out of the world. They remove a person. They make a person egocentric, right? It's focused on what I have and I want. Kina, taiva, and kavod. Yeah, this is uh, a Mishnah. Kina, taiva, kavod, motzina, saadam, and olam. A chassid is someone who has removed himself from all those things. He's managed. It's not so easy. We all think that we are free of kinetai van kavod until we start breaking them down very carefully and realize, whoops, I do have a touch of that over here. Okay. He said, if you want to know the cures or the opposites of kinetai van kavod, there's a spectrum of kina and taiva and kavod. So how would you get away from them? That would be Torah avoda and gemilus chasadim. Those are the three things that hold up the world as opposed to remove someone from the world. Three of them support the world, three of them undermine the world or p- people's presence in the world. Okay, so Torah is the tikkun, the repair for taiva. This, let me just say what he says first, okay? Because like, well, why would Torah be the opposite of taiva? Okay, Torah is the tikkun for taiva. Avoda is the tikkun for kavod. Avoda meaning service of God, that includes mostly karbonos and tefillah. Because, he goes on to say, Ein kavod bimkom avodas Hashem yisbarach. 
if a person is truly in the middle of their avoda and they're thinking about praising Hashem and how Hashem is the master of everything and everything is under his control and we have lacks and we turn to him for them, then there's no room in your heart right then for the sense of kavod. That somebody should honor me and say how amazing I am and how much I'm doing. Well, that's like, you can't have both at the same time, right? If you're busy thinking how everything comes from him and you're really helpless and you need him to support you and you turn to him and all the strength that you have is really his, which is, yeah, that's a lot stronger than any strength you could muster on your own, but nonetheless, it's not yours. Okay, so then there isn't room for kavod in the space of the avoda. Okay, fine. So he's not going to crave kavod. Once he is recognizing his master and recognizing the greatness of his master. And that's between people. Doing chesed for other people. That counteracts kina, jealousy. Okay, that's a little more clear. Which is the root of all of between people. It's a very broad statement, really. Kina? Yeah. He says, kina, which we usually translate as jealousy, is the root of all of that come between people. So, let me just see where I put that one. I want to share with you Who something. That's Rav Tzadok. Rav Tzadok HaKoyin of Lublin. Okay, but what I do want to do was share with you bunch of different pages of Horeb, but they're not all for the same thing. Okay. Let's tie them. Uh, I know I printed the first page of Ava because I remember doing it. So he started he started with he didn't do them in order. He didn't say I cannot taiva kavod. He said first is taiva and the opposite of taiva is Torah. So let's start with why would the opposite of taiva be Torah? That seems like a little bit of a surprising statement. So let's look at a definition of taiva. This is from Rav Hirsch in Chorev. He has actually an essay on taiva, which is translated here as covetousness. Taiva is the longing to make oneself the center of an ever-expanding circle of possessions or to draw an ever-greater volume of them into one's own range whether in the shape of immediate enjoyment or the means of enjoyment. In other words, if you picture yourself, every person is the middle of their own universe. So there's you in the middle, and there's this circle around you, 
that's what you own, and you want that circle to suck in as much as possible in it. That's taiva. I want more. Okay? To make oneself the center of an ever-expanding circle of possessions or draw an ever greater volume of them into one's own range. God has implanted this impulse to self-enlargement in every creature and given a share of it to man also, for whom the number of desirable possessions is increased by the category of mental enjoyments and advantages. So while animals might want to have more and more food, at some point they also notice that it makes them feel sick, except dogs, and they stop. Right? Dogs just keep eating, I think, till they throw up. All right. People, because we could have a mental enjoyment of something, so there's way more options mm-hmm. of things to have taivas for. Okay. And he goes on to describe why that's necessary and why that doesn't have to be a bad thing. But what you want as a human, and especially as a Jewish human, is you want to be called upon to serve not yourself, but God with all that you are. Then you won't feel taiva, because you won't be striving for enjoyment or possessions for yourself. You'll be striving in everything for the means of doing things pleasing to God. As a fully-fledged Jew, you will know nothing of taiva, in which you yourself are the objective. In other words, you got to change this image. And I have found this image to be very helpful in certain kinds of situations, okay? This image of I am in the center, and there's a circle around me. Am I a black hole that will suck, like this gravitational pull, as much as can come into it? That's taiva. Or... What you want is not to collect around yourself the greatest possible circle of possessions, but to make yourself a center. So I'm still going to be the center of my own universe. I can't help that. That's called bishvilini raha olam. Every person sees the world from his own center point. I, I really am the center of my own world. Make yourself a center from which, as large as possible, a collection of works pleasing to God streams forth. You have to turn the pump around. Now, instead of being this black hole of gravity that sucks everything into it, Mm -hmm. I'm a fountain. I'm a wellspring in the center of this world. And the bigger my circle gets and the farther it stretches away from me, the farther I can be a source of blessing to others. I'm still the center. And to take your place with the whole range of your activities in the great circle of created beings, the holy and exalted center of which is God. Okay, I have to tell you, I have found this contrast of images to be very, very powerful. The fact that I can stand at the center of my circle or my sphere and see myself in one of two ways. It's like flipping a switch, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, sucking in or putting out because you can't feel both at once. You simply can't feel both at once. Um, And that's very powerful. It's very helpful. I've seen times where you are feeling very needy and maybe rightfully so. Okay, I had a conversation with somebody 
they were going through a very hard time and they felt neglected, not understood, right? And maybe correctly. But that is nonetheless the feeling of needing more. I need more. So one approach to that is you recognize that there's something missing and you, you speak to Hashem about it, right? I'm not, but what the powerful thing was turning that into a different image, which is what do I have to offer here in this relationship? What do I have to bring in? And specifically with this image of standing in the middle of your circle, because as soon as you start thinking about that, you're not thinking about the other side of needing and wanting and absorbing. And it is a much happier place to be. To feel like you're a giver and a source of bracha is just plain a happier, more constructive place to be. I'm not talking about like whether the marriage needs work or whether the relationship is like messy or whether the person actually needs like more food or more I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a perspective. It's how you see yourself in this place. And that is a much happier and much stronger place to be. Even though you would think that sucking in would make you stronger because like you're getting more and more, but it's not. It's a never-ending black hole. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're a fountain, so it's not even your own blessing that's pouring out to other people. It's Hashem's. But it's good for you to just keep trying to find things to give. Absolutely. But what I'm saying is you feel happier and you stop feeling so deprived. That's kind of this amazing brilliance of it. So, sorry. It's like very awkward to be looking here. What I wanted to see. Oy, oy, oy. I thought it was interesting. We read with Machas that that's what she felt. You know, she felt that she was just uh, a clee to give. So she opened up, she's like, okay, Hashem, this is your children, you, okay, you make, yeah. you make sure that I have chicken for 200 people this afternoon, like yeah. Friday afternoon. Yeah, and that is a very healthy attitude. That yeah. is a very healthy feeling. When we feel that, I, my, it's a privilege for me to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Right. So if I can be a source of bracha, that's, I'm, I'm not the source, a, a conduit for bracha, right. that's an amazing thing. But I don't believe for a second that it's me who's doing the providing. I'm the conduit. So as soon as that's so, then it's Hashem's strength animating me, as Rav Hirsch puts it, and that's much stronger. Aren't you more than a conduit? I mean, you are doing your part to... My part, though, is the choosing. My part is where I put myself. Because I don't really have control over how much money I have. I don't really have control over how much chicken I can afford. I don't really have control over... You know, we all know the time where, like, you always make the same dish over and over again. It always comes out fine, and then one time something happens, or the oven breaks. I had an oven that used to sometimes just randomly go into self-cleaning mode. <laughs> Which, like, if you have food in really there, and you don't that catch that really fast, yeah. that's, like, really it's gone. <laughs> you know? It's over. It's 900 degrees. It can't last yeah. very long. Okay. So there's, like, there's just an extent to which we have to realize that, but that's, that makes us more empowered, not less. The secret of being empowered is to realize it's not your power. But it doesn't, it doesn't take away from the power of what we are doing. Because it's not a small thing to say, I'm choosing to do your will. It's not a small thing to say, I want so much to be a conduit of Hashem's bracha to people. That's a very, very big thing. That's that, like, those moments where you have to choose. 
how do I talk? How do I feel? How do I react? How do I respond? Those are very small, and we all know those are the hardest ones. They're hard to get right, even if you don't pay attention, and if you are paying attention, that struggle can feel much harder than any other work that you do. Okay, so there's this line here, which is really from a passage I want to read in a few weeks. But Rav Hirsch, in talking about Psuke de Zimra, says... What should you be in this choir of servants? If all of the universe is being described in Psuke de Zimra as singing praise to Hashem, so where's your voice? Where, where do you have a share in it? Okay. He says, Oh, that you would allow heart and spirit to be infused by the spirit of Torah and allow your life in word and deed to be but a copy of the contents of the Torah. Then you would surrender yourself to God in love just as he calls to you in love. Then will your physical life also endure, that is, as long as it remains the bearer of such light, Ahava. Why did I bring this? Because Rav Hirsch, he said it in very short. Okay, this isn't an essay explaining it. What he just indicated was your life can be an expression, a bearer of light. What, what is that light that we shine into the world? That's the light of Torah. But he gave it another, another synonym, ahava. Those three he used as synonyms. Light, Torah, okay, Torah or, we've heard that, and love. Right, that's the idea that Chaviv in Yisrael, beloved is Israel. I'm quoting it correctly. That God gave us a beloved tool. He gave us something very special, a beloved lamp, as it turns out, right? That shines. And even more love, an excessive amount of love, he let us know that. He said, I'm giving you something special. Okay, that the light and the love and the Torah go together helps us understand what Rav Tzadok was saying. Rav Tzadok said that if you want the antidote to taiva, it's ahava. He said Torah, right? It's Torah. How is Torah the antidote to taiva? It's because taiva is the sucking in, and Torah, or shining light, is a putting out. And they, it, <laughs> you can do one or the other and you can even flip-flop, but not both at the same time. Okay, so that's that piece. Yeah, it's rather astonishing. The avoda is the cure for kavod. I think that's like, even Rav Tzadok like kind of explained that one a little bit more. Why? Because avoda is saying, I serve you, right? That's what Rehearsed said. You, sh- you want to be part of the choir of servants, dedicating your power to his service. Where is there room for that for covet? Covet is humiliating if you're standing in the presence of someone much greater than you. That would be embarrassing. Okay, so I'm trying to think of an example. Um, I suppose, let's say you had an art student who made a, pain, a painting and somebody came in 
and the student says, oh, and Mrs. Balsam taught me this amazing technique, look how I did it, right? And then so this other person who's observing would say, wow, like you're the most amazing artist to the student. Like you're the most amazing artist and how did you ever come up with that? And they're like, no, I, I didn't come up with it. She taught me how to do it, right? And the more they're gonna get praised for the ownership of it, the more humiliated they're gonna feel. Because you're praising them for the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Praise them for like how much care they took with it or how well they, they followed the instructions or their own creativity that was like put into the concept. But if they just are talking about how they learned a skill or learned a technique or had the power or got all the materials from you, then to praise them for those things is just embarrassing. It happens anyway. No, sometimes (laughs) the parents will come in and the kids did this beautiful picture and there's this one little highlight on the apple that I didn't feel the kid could do yet. It's just this little white thing. And the parent will say, I just love that shine right there. That's an even better (laughs) example. And then you see the kid's face is like. (laughs) You know what? That's a better example. I like that even better. (laughs) I like that even better. So the more we are with our Avoda, that's a great example. <laughs> but the more we're in our Avoda, the less room there is to want kavod. Um, but you see many people who study Torah, you know, and still have taiva. Like it, it, it's a big project. It's a big Torah, and it's a big project. What because that that's why I was saying Torah? that it's not. First of all, getting, overcoming taiva. Overcoming taiva. We said God implanted taiva in everyone. So it's a question right, of how you, you channel have it. Both at the same, you said it can't be both I don't think you could have both in the same moment. Oh, in the same moment. I don't moment. think you could have this. That's why I was saying you could even flip-flop between them. Oh. I don't think you can be in the same state of mind. I don't think you can have both states of mind at once. That's been my limited experience so far. Mm-hmm. And Rav Hirsch seems to point to that. He's kind of saying, like, you can be this or you could be that. I do think you can flip-flop in the process of, like, growing up and maturing. Oh, I thought like between but moment to moment. Like I think you can. Yeah. With your eyes open, like you, can <laughs> you just can't. <laughs> Patting your head. And, yeah. <laughs> you can do that. I cannot do that. that. You like, really can't sneeze. There's certain you things that just like, I, I think it's more like you can't inhale while you exhale. Right. Same mm. You can't, you just can't do them both at the same time. That one is inhaling and one is exhaling and they might even both have a place. Although what reverse seems to be saying is that the more time you spend in Torah, Ahava, source of bracha place, the less time you spend in the taiva place. But either way, you're in the center of that circle. Meaning God gave you that image of yourself in order for a purpose. It's just that that cultivation, that's a, that is an avodah by itself. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then, to, I just I want to finish up here. The idea specifically of avodah and kavod is expressed very much in the clothing of the Kohen Gadol and the Kohanim in general. The Kohanim's clothes are called lekavod ulatifares. They're for glory and honor. And we give all kinds of special honors to Kohanim. But if you look at what their jobs are, they clean, they cook, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> they slaughter. They don't wear shoes. <laughs> they don't wear shoes. Okay, they teach. They are servants. Their avoda is called sherus, service. Okay, so there's a connection between sherus and sarara, like, like a sar, is an officer or a prince. Because in Jewish thought, a king is a servant. The glory of the big day kahuna is not to glorify the person wearing them. It's to glorify the one they represent, which is God. So the kohanim 
are on the one hand, the ones we give honor to, right? They should lead the benching. They should get the first aliyah. We give them special gifts and the tithes. And on the other hand, their whole job is to be of service. Okay, that's this relationship with the kavod versus the avoda. Whose kavod is it? If it's a craving of kavod for yourself, that's not really avoda. Kohanim exemplify avoda, and therefore there's a lot of kavod going in that direction, only it's not really going to them personally. It's going to that role on behalf of the Jewish people and God and connecting us that way. Okay, and the gemilas chasadim with the kinah, so for that, and I'm, this is, I told, I printed out now, I don't know where it is. I just want to read this one sentence from Rav Hirsch on Ahava, on love. He says, to see, he goes in order, like all the steps of love, which is an amazing, amazing essay. But he begins with saying, to see in your fellow man something else than merely your rival for the acquisition of the good things of the earth, not to look upon his good as an encroachment on yours, to let your neighbor have the spot of earth on which God has set him, as he has set you on yours, and even let him prosper on it, all this amounts merely to not hating him, not yet to loving him. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's like, you didn't even start. Mm-hmm. All you did is take away the impediment. So I just want to point out that that impediment is kina, right? We said kina, mm-hmm. and the opposite of the kina is the gemilus chasadim. Okay? Because kinah is literally the opposite. It's not just like an absence of, right? Kinah would be the, the positive side of what he said is a negative, right? You're going to see them not as this, right? Kinah is seeing other people as the, your rival for the acquisition of good things on earth. Is there enough or isn't there enough? Who's providing over here, right? Okay, if God's providing, then so you'll provide 200 chickens. Like, right? what's the difference? It's not, right? There's enough. There'll be enough for you. There'll be enough for them. To see another person as if they have good, that encroaches on my good. If they have something and I don't have it, they've taken it from me. That's kinah, mm-hmm. right? Kinah is God put him on a spot of earth. And if he weren't on it, I would have it. Instead of, where do, well, where did God put me? Like, which job, which house, which... Which family do I have? Okay, that is really kino. Erasing kino doesn't get you to Camilus Chasadim. Erasing kino just gets you to like the neutral point. Okay, mm-hmm. but Camilus Chasadim can take you over to the other side. Okay, that sense, and that's why like tzedakah is actually tzedek, justice. It's not, it's not even beyond. Okay, chesed is where you can give even more. You can give even of yourself without feeling that you're losing anything. That's the opposite of kinah. Okay, so that's today. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's Hashem. Thank you. Sort of a side point and sort of not because that's Rav Sadiq's definition of a chassid. The chassid is one who is able to get across the boundary. Well, you know what? Let me tell you something. It can be a Messiris Nefesh, and it cannot, and you never will know. We just had this conversation. My daughter said to me, how come they have these stories? There's always these stories about the miser who, like, never gives anything, and then he dies, and they find out that, like, really he was so generous. 
but he was such a tzaddik because he didn't want anyone to give him honor. And she was a little confused by that. Like, so does that mean that's really right? Like, you should let everyone the whole time think that you're mean and you don't give. And you, really, you shouldn't. Really, when a person gives to an organization, and especially if they give a substantial amount, then there's an added chesed to the rest of the community that comes from letting that be known. Why? Because people say, oh, look at that. Like, first of all, it's a role model. They could copy it. Second of all, if they see the person is honored, then at least they could harness their desire for honor in that direction. So you do set an example that's kind of necessary, which the miser, you know, yeah, like he, he protected his inside, but he didn't do that extra chesed. But the fact is, you don't know for the giver. Some people, it for sure looks like they're doing it for the honor, and maybe they are, right? And that, you can't say that that's the healthiest thing for them, even if it's great for the organization. But you can also have the opposite, where like there are people who really would rather not, and they're suffering through it. It sounds weird, like, is that true? But people could really suffer from it. They can suffer because, first of all, getting covered does take away, meaning it's hard to not believe it at least a little. You know, everyone keeps telling you you're so amazing. And now you've got work to do to undo it if you care. Right? It's, it's not always so easy. Sometimes people even feel the effects of it. They can have other areas in their life where they feel that they suffer because they allowed themselves to have COVID. But, but they still might do it for the sake of the community. It's not so easy in whatever position that John puts you in. You have your whatever. Right, I think everyone is holding. So I'm just saying, like, you don't really know. The fact that organizations praise people and honor them for that, number one, it is worthy of honor that they chose to use their money that way. Cause, but it's not always. But a lot of it is for the model to someone else. It's not always. It gives a role model. But it's just, to me, it's And like, sometimes it's the way to convince them to do it. So then, what? I don't know. If, if you're doing that as an organization, what are you doing? Playing on people's worst qualities? I don't know if that's such a nice thing to do either. But that's, that's not the person's problem. That's the organization's problem. Mm-hmm. How can, how can we use a person's negative qualities and uh, leverage them to our benefit? Is that a nice thing? I don't know. <laughs> I think it does happen, probably. But you hope, you hope, you know. But you don't know how people are struggling. You don't know. And a, and a person who is a good person, they may feel that it's a struggle. Right? Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. Good to see you. Nice to see you.